Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. There's something very special about just sitting down at a table with open Bibles, notebooks to the side, and talking among friends. And one of my dear friends, Dr. Rick Hunter, uh, is, is perfect for this. We enjoy this very much. His background's in ministry, preaching, and theology. Mine is in psychology, neuroscience. Um, and we, we both bring our own perspectives to this, but we also appreciate those of you that write in saying, thank you, wow, keep this going. That's always encouraging. We want that. Our Wednesdays have always been our least watched video. Not sure why. I think, I think it's pretty golden. But it's always every, from day one for three years. So if you like this, share it. Let people know about it. And then Rick here has his own YouTube channel, which all of these are also posted on. Sunrise Media. And Sun is S-O-N. Oh, Sun Force. Sun Force, sorry. Yeah. Sun Force Media. And by the way, when you look for it on YouTube, if you don't get the link off of our website, make sure that you put Sunforce Media Rick Hunter, because there are several Sunforces out there, um, and they're not him. <laughs> so we want to direct you straight to him. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Uh, do you want me to read the first bit here? Yes. You okay. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the, the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. All right, I want to stop all the way through. Jesus had a sense of kindness toward people that also gave them dignity. Therefore, he never made healing a show. Back in, back in the early American uh, 20th century, up through the 50s and 60s perhaps, it was a big deal to have the tent meetings and the healing mm -hmm. come into town. It's a big show. Huge emotion. Uh, it, I even saw it on television in America from the, um, I say the early 80s with Ernest Angsley up in Cleveland or one of them. Um, and there's, it was always a show. Big dramatic thing. Jesus pulled people aside. He gave them dignity, privacy. Always something very, very impressive about that. If he had been well, um, if his main goal was to start a big cult around him, or to start a personality cult, or or the like, he would have made sure more to say, "All right, bring your friends in, because they're going to want to see this." But he takes him by the hand, he touches him, mm -hmm. and leads him outside the village. Just think of you, know, God reaching out for your hand, taking you outside the village. And then the next line, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, uh, we talked last time about some people need ceremony. You know, um, in psychology, I've helped people work through a lot of ceremonies. You know, the big ones are uh, funerals or marriages alike. But we also need ceremonies of letting people go. Letting things go. By the way, that's going to be the Christmas Eve, which is on Sunday morning. 
uh, our Christmas Eve service, uh, I'm sorry, not Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve service is on Sunday morning. And we're going to talk about things you don't need to carry into the new year. Things it's all right to drop now. That said, sometimes we need the ceremonies to help us drop them. Writing a letter, burning it, burying it. Um, Douglas Foster, who wrote an awful lot about disciplines. He said that he had the habit of praying with his hands up as if he was receiving or holding something. And then if he was asking God to help him get rid of it, as he would end the prayer, he'd turn his hands over as a sign that I'm letting this go. Well, this man, his eyes could have been gummy. Could Jesus have fixed that by just wanting to? Of course. But he also didn't have to take him by the hand. But he did. He is a hands-on God when you need a hands-on God. And so he spits on the man's... And, and by the way, that killed me as a, a boy because my parents would never let us spit. If we were ever... <laughs> I don't care what was happening inside your mouth or where you were. You were never allowed to spit. And then to spit and put it on somebody else's eyes. I mean, you got every seventh grader's attention. <laughs> and put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? What? And again, um, let me put it to you this way. Sometimes, I ran a counseling practice eight years. Sometimes when people came in and they told you your story, I could have leaned over and gone, all right, here's the thing. That's what happened. Here's what you do. But it wouldn't have worked. They needed to be brought into the process. They couldn't go from A to Z. And in ministers, sometimes we find something and we think, wow, this is what God wants. And even when we're correct, as, as you know, <coughs> being a man with a ministry experience, you can't drag your congregation along at the sp same speed that you move mm -hmm. because they're not reading these books. They're not sitting around thinking or today listening to podcasts and they're not getting all of this information. So you have to baby step them. And Jesus here is involving the man in his own healing, which is an extremely healthy thing to do, giving him a part to do. Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Well, that tells us he wasn't blind from birth. He knew what people look like and he knew what trees look like. Mm -hmm. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Um, some manuscripts, I believe, say don't go tell anyone in the village. We've seen before where Jesus healed somebody and they went back into the village and it caused a problem because people were saying, well, wait a minute, were you faking it the whole time? Because we don't believe you got healed. So uh, one got kicked out of the, um, the temple um, for over this. But Jesus also just isn't interested in fame. He's a hands-on God and calls us to be hands-on people. But anyway, when you read this, you know, I've... I've I'll always stop and say what I'm thinking. What do you see that we need to see? The, um, your last comment, uh, many th theologians, and this, this has not changed in the last few hundred years of theologians writing about the miracles and Jesus' seemingly aloofness to people going and telling. And then we also realize 
I mean, we're reading it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sometimes John. Mm -hmm. and, and we have to remember that as we're reading through it, that's not the way early people that got a hold of it, they, they wouldn't be looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and reading the same thing and getting double. It's like watching um, maybe a sports cast where they, maybe a football game where they, they, they show a certain tackle over and over and over again mm -hmm. so much. And you see it about a hundred times mm -hmm. if you watch it today and you become desensitized to it. You know, you kind of see it. And then was that another one or was that the same one? Mm -hmm. And it could either make a person look really good or really bad depending on the language, mm -hmm. you, you know, and the narrative that's going on around it. Mm -hmm. Many theologians feel that, that he, Jesus, <clears throat> Christ, is, is literally um, moving toward the cross. He's moving toward his crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of thought there that Jesus did not want that to get convoluted with any of the human things that he was doing along the way. That's, that's the purpose. That, that's where I'm going. Mm -hmm. and, and, and to minimize... <clears throat> To, to minimize the crowds that came because the majority of the time the crowds got caught up in the physical and never would try to look where he was pointing them. And so that reoccurring thing comes and it feeds into what you're, you're saying is that he was there to heal the, the person. When in, in some of the miracles um, that we've read through, I think one or two of them, the... Um, as Jesus healed, when he healed lepers, lepers, he always touched them, mm -hmm. you know, which nobody else nobody would, would have do. done yeah. at the time. No one. And, and the foundation of that is that Jesus is showing them that I'm going to enter into your pain and I'm going to take that pain away. I'm going to enter into it. And in other words, I'm going to become defiled just like you are, but I'm going to mm -hmm. bring you through it. Yeah. Which is significant um, for every generation, because every era, era, every era of people and time has different things that seem to track stuff. Up. We're we're in an addiction um, era, and we seem to go from one crazy kind of addiction to another. But it's always an addiction, mm -hmm. you know. And just when we they figure out, okay, this is how we can manage this ep, you know, opioid thing better or this meth thing better, another one comes right back up, takes people out. And so the thing never was that you have to um, work your way through it. You got to, if you've heard that terminology, you got to man up. And, um, and in many, many ways, as, as men, we're, we're, we're starting to come to grips with that, which hopefully makes us better, better men. But um, and man up. And Jesus, that was never where he was going. And think about it, he said, I know what is tripping you up. You know, it is because sin is in this world and Satan is the father of sin. And you have to interact with that every day. Even though the spiritual is with you, you're still in the flesh. That's Paul. That was Paul's challenge. Right. Remember that, yes. old wretched man. Mm -hmm. You know, I know what I want to do for good, but I can't do it all the time. And I don't know why. And, um, and so Jesus, when he entered into him, he took their they're sent upon him, but it's always a visual that's going on. And so Jesus is saying, wherever you are, however you got there, whatever the situation is, we can bring you through it. I can bring you through it. You can be better. You can be whole. In other words, 
You can think about your neighbor before you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. You can think about how this hurts before you break you know, something down. You can, you can get through it. Now, there, there's things we got to look at, and you know this part better than I do, the, psycholo- the psychology. There, there are some people that just need to talk to somebody, and they can get straight, and they're going mm-hmm. about their business. Some of them don't need to talk to anybody. They just need to sit, sit by the ocean and reflect on what they've done, and, and they break down, okay, I got it. And there's, but there's others that have to engage uh, some, some therapy, you, you know, oh, and yeah. it may be drug therapy, and it may be other things to try to get them through. But, but ultimately, you get it through, but even when you're doing that, you're not doing it apart from God. You're doing it with God through the whole process because he's always there. You can, and yes. Uh, and something which you're, you're, you're brushing up against here, in psychology, there are over 400 different modalities. In other words, big theories. And yet when we test, are people getting better after counseling? Are people getting better after medication? And are people getting better after medication plus counseling? We find most people get better, no matter the different modality. The common component seems to be a personal relationship with somebody who's looking at you, hearing you, understanding you, and then engaging you. As you, as you said properly, I had some people come in, didn't need counseling. They just needed a space for verbal processing. They would sit down and start talking. End of the hour, they'd finish talking, see you next week. And after a period of time, they were done. They just needed a place to verbally tell the story and get it right in their head. Mm-hmm. Other people, you had to pry out the story because it, they, it, to them it wasn't safe. Uh, some people are mental processors, like going out, watching the ocean. Uh, Most people, however, have blind spots. And once they realize they have blind spots, they go in to do counseling so the counselor can lead them to see what they're not seeing and then give them tools to handle what they're finding out. But whether it's Rogerian or whether it's behaviorism or whether it's rational emotive therapy, it is the relationship. Um, Just giving somebody a pill is the least effective one. Pills are still good (laughs) if it's the right pill, Mm. but counseling works best when there's a personal connection. And of course, there are all kinds of boundaries there, but personal connection. And Jesus did the personal connection. Um, I look at this and I will ask people in Bible classes, um, what was the main goal of Jesus in this passage? And some will say, healing this man. I'll say, no, that wasn't even his idea. Somebody else brought that man to him. What was his main goal? His main goal was to enter this man's life with kindness and leave him better than he was when he got there. Uh, You've heard me say before, to me, the miracle is the least impressive part of all of these stories. It is the way Jesus handled himself. And the way he touched, you brought it up, lepers. Mm -hmm. I mean... The religious people of the day were required by law, don't touch them. Mm-hmm. Jesus touched them. And I think there's a lesson there for all of us. And yeah, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you, you mentioned it because um, in, in, when we're reading about leprosy in the Bible, they were, they were also, um, they, they had to live in a different camp. And they had, they had to actually live in a different area. And 
when they came around, anybody who was not clothed in, in black, I believe it was, they had to yell out, unclean, right. from a certain distance away. Mm -hmm. Unclean, unclean, don't come here. Um, you, I, it would be hard to imagine the kind of aloneness, yes. the kind of filthiness, the kind of dread that, that they would carry every, every day. Mm -hmm. and, um, and since people are innately built with the necessity of having relationship, we're relational people, uh, unless there, you, there's some kind of psychology going on with a person sure. that they put out, we're relational people. They could not be in relationship with anyone else other than those that were in the same, mm -hmm. same boat that they were. And, um, and, and just yelling out un unclean. Well, it's, and it's not just that Jesus healed them, but if we understand the sense, whoever Jesus was, talk was talking to Jesus, or whoever they were, they were saying, I have a cousin, I have, I have someone that's over here. And so Jesus went to them. It's, it's not mm -hmm. like when we read about, I think Jesus was going into a city and there was a death party coming <coughs> out of the city and Jesus, yes. okay, and stuff like that. We read it as what the miracle and timing that Jesus mm -hmm. got up at a certain time, you know, and that there was a certain time on the clock that, that you know, that, that uh, uh, this other person was sent out by God and stuff like that. We can't look at, we're taught to look at it that way because we're taught to look, to not just look, we're taught to look critically at text that shouldn't be looked at critically because we're trying to get stuff out that someone else mm -hmm. doesn't have right. instead of letting the text do what the text just, does. <laughs> just you tell know? the story. Yeah. And so he, and so that, that that's all a, a, a sense of, of the, the only sense there is that Jesus will meet you wherever you are. Exactly. Oh, okay. Um, uh, in the uh, storm on on the sea, one of the, the biggest points out there that can never surface because we beat the text up so mm -hmm. badly is that they were out in a place where no one else could get to them. They were in the middle of the lake. And, and it's also interesting that when it said they were in the middle, in the midst of the lake, that simply implied, too, that they were just as far from where they started as from where they were going. They were just as far from both sides. Well, when you get caught right then in the middle, you can't say, okay, I'm glad I didn't write that check. Well, the mm -hmm. check's already gone. Or I'm glad this didn't happen. See, it's already in play, and you're at, in the most vulnerable situation that you can be in, and Christ shows up. So there's, there's never a place a person can be that Christ cannot redeem them from. Absolutely. Which is, which is a powerful <coughs> understanding um, because we, we, especially as ministers, uh, maybe more on the ministerial part of it, we hear, that's the wrong way to say it, we come across situations of healing in congregations where people have violated people. And, um, and through some of them, you thank God that this never ended up in a courtroom. Yes. Uh, uh, because, oh, my God, this, mm -hmm. this, would, the, the, this, would, this family for generations would never be straight. Right. That's God there. And, um, you know, and so you, you realize, but, but God is saying, but I, I can reach inside. Matter of fact, I can reach them before they get in there. You know, um, I can do that wherever we are. And, and that is the power of submitting to Christ in your life. Uh, um, if I can take it just a step further. Okay. See, we, in many faith traditions, we 
we look at baptism maybe not in the way that we we should I'm, and i'm not saying it has anything to do with whether we're saved or, or not or, or that is that we don't let baptism be what god wants it to be we um instead of looking at it you know for um and letting it be a reminder to us you know reminder to us we attack others with if you don't do it and if you don't do it this kind of way and this kind of way god's not with you other than looking at it as a fact that when Satan starts rattling our cage, see, it's hard to go into your mind and say, but I know I love the Lord and I remember the time. You know, and first thing that comes back to you when Satan starts rattling your cage, you know, is remember you were baptized because you remember right. September 12th at, you know, at 12.05, you know, yeah, in, this, in this way. And that's part of what that sacrament is all about. That, that's part of it. What it's all about is that when we start getting rattling around, because sometimes it's hard to go into your mind because what Paul said, I know I've got some issues in there. Okay, well, well, what was this? Out, what did you do outwardly? What, what went on? Well, I know I love the Lord. You, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. And this, this is important for, for, for to getting through it and understanding these miracles, and especially since we're not walking up on at least what we would look at as miracles like this today, although God is still working. Sure. God does lives, what he does. We just don't see it like this. <clears throat> you know, and we forget that, you know, I've got to tough this one out. And the Lord is trying to, you know, don't, you know, sure you got to work, work through it, but don't tough it. Don't, t don't look at it like that. You know, heal yourself, heal, allow yourself to be healed by my love and then allow that love to go forward. Absolutely. hundred percent. And Martin Luther actually used to correct his behavior during the day when he found himself, uh, he had a really bad temper. Plus he had some real strong prejudices. He had, and when he would catch himself, he would say out loud, but I have been baptized. And that was his kind of leash to pull himself back. His Philippians 4, think on these things. Mm -hmm. That ceremony, that helped him. The, um, again, being being forgiven of his sins, all good, but the ceremony was what he remembered. He had entered into this agreement with Jesus. And by the way, if any of you out there are lepers, just be aware, you feel like a leper, a spiritual leper, your family won't even touch you. Jesus will, he did, he always will. And the next little part here, 27 through 30, I'm going to have you read that, but this also tags very tightly with verse 26. Um, something I think you were leading up to, and then after you read this section, you may want to talk about it more. If the people had gathered, he could have done that. If you remember when John the Baptist was baptizing, it said all Judea came out. Jesus could have attracted to huge crowds. They may very well have tried to take him bodily and make him king. Mm -hmm. Now, he didn't want to be an earthly king, but he also was concerned about them because had they done that, Rome would have come in and slaughtered them. Herod would have helped. We know that because they did. There were other people who said, I'm the Messiah, follow me. And they got wiped out. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't want the common people to be so excited. They push, 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 throw a crown on his head of you know, leaves or whatever and say, this is our king because he knows what would happen to them. Mm -hmm. And so he turned that aside. Philippians 2. He didn't think of that as a thing to be grasped. 
So that, that said, would you read 27 through 30 for us? Yeah. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some said Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Well, we, we almost always know this passage from Matthew mm -hmm. instead of Mark. But I want to give you the lead on this one. Um, some people will say, why would they think Elijah? Well, remember, Elijah never died. So mm -hmm. he might have still been out there somewhere. Kind of like people in the medieval age thought King Arthur was going to come out of a cave never having died and restored them. Um, there probably wasn't a King Arthur, by the way, but leave that aside. Uh, when you read this, what thoughts do you have you, you could share? Yeah, now the, um, this, is, um, <laughs> this is a very interesting part because um, many theologians believe that, that Christ, when he said, who do men say that I am, was not necessarily talking to the, uh, he was talking to them, but he was talking to the force behind them that was pushing some negative thoughts and, and pushing the questions, pushing the doubt of who he was. And so they, they think that the question really was, was being initiated at Satan. Hmm. is really who they think that, okay, that, that this, this it was going on. So, that so. it really was initiated um, to say because of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Because of the doubt. Uh, uh, and then other, other pieces come up like, you know, like in all those miracles, why did you doubt? You know, why, why, did you, why didn't you ask me about this earlier in the day? Why didn't you, you know, or the, or the apostles could not comprehend. See, that thing keeps coming up. It literally mm -hmm. keeps coming up. And so they believe that this, the question was asked to them, but it was really designed for Satan, who was the power behind them, that kept this doubt going. In other words, when are you going to allow yourself to see and embrace what you see and feel in front of you instead of the doubt from where you come from, if that makes sense? And so they believe that that's that. Who do men say that I am? And um, and and then this is good. that particular thought I brought is going to come up again a couple of times um, um, in it when he's he, when he's talking um, um, to them uh, uh, to some of the disciples or at least one of them in particular uh, um, is going to come up again and it, it's problematic um, because the the text the text will allow it but the text does not imply it you know the, in other you can't figure out but it's saying that he's really trying to get at that doubt. And as I look at some uh, some other texts and other miracles that he's done, it kind of there, there's there's a good foundation for it. You know, he's trying to get to that. Who do men say that I, the son of man? And then you see, as you just answered, um, if you put um, uh, Elijah, John the Baptist, you know, together, you know, some other problem. I said th these are nowhere near each each other. It's not like they whittled it down to two of them that were right. almost alike. You, you know, you've got John the Baptist, um, you know, <clears throat> looking like he just got out of a therapy session 
with some high-powered psychotropic drugs <laughs> in the wilderness, fair, fair you know, and, and he's eating locusts and he's coming into town and, you know, uh, in camel hair and stuff like that. And, uh, and I'm not saying he would, I mean, that's no, the way yeah. we would picture him. And then, um, and then you got um, um, Elijah, who, if there, was a, if there was a prophet you had to have when you were going down to get somebody you hated, Elijah would be the prophet because yep. in a minute he turned, Lord, do you want me to call out? Do you want to call on fire and burn him up? Do you? Want? I mean, that yeah. was his, his first thing was not, you know, let's, let, let's show some love, let's show some compassion. His <laughs> first thing always was, why don't we just knock him out? Just yep. knock him flat out. I uh, love Elijah. Uh, uh, I, you know? <laughs> Simple solutions. You know, yeah. <laughs> there are uh, a lot of Christians that have uh, been healed from <laughs> from the Elijah syndrome, you, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because when, when people get to messing with you, and that's part of um, the psychological part of life, you know, is when you're used to getting pushed around, not so much in the physical, somebody physically, but when people start pushing you around mentally, or when they start pushing you around by telling people around you all this about you, stuff like that, those reactions that come out of you can can be devastating, uh, can be hurtful, um, mainly because you don't want to go to a certain place, but then you find yourself being drawn there. Yeah, and so, and Elijah was that kind of prophet. You know, he he was the one. He he was not cutting, you know, any slack. He was not saying, you know, we could solve this right now. Literally, we could solve it right now, and we could just tear, you know, Lord, just. And so, um, and so, in effect. The disciples, even among themselves, hadn't really come to grasp who Christ was. I mean, they're seeing what he's doing, but it's taking a minute. So don't beat up on the apostles. Oh, no. yeah. or, um, you know, and like uh, people talk about, you know, Peter, Peter, he was just silly. He was just, uh-uh. They, they hadn't seen anybody that, like, they, like yeah, like they've never before. gone to vacation Bible school. Exactly. Yeah, right. And they didn't have... <laughs> exactly. And they didn't have any other measure about... Because the people... There were fraudsters in the, in the oh, mix. Yeah. And, and, and so those of you who are listening to this, don't, don't push me down in the alley or down the street that's saying... What do you mean? The, the Bible plainly teaches that they were... That some people were able to do certain kind of mental gymnastics or something with people to make them think that they actually... I see people doing... Who is it? Blaine? Not the, one of the magicians and stuff. Yeah. I, I like magicians and stuff. And they, I'm looking at them <laughs> do stuff and I, and I know because they've already told me this is a trick. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not that I ever thought there was some real pulling something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. It was not that. But the way they do it, your brain and your eyes still say... That's, that's incredible. I, how did that happen? Well, that was the way they were looking at Christ. And these charlatans that could kind of do or pull the wool over. Yeah, like Pharaoh's uh, uh, priest. Priest, exactly. Yeah. And they were willing to pay for it. In other mm -hmm. words, show me how to do that or, or, or let me pay you so you can somehow pour that into me and, yeah. I, and I can yeah. do it. Because, so anyways, that lets us know that that is something needed in this world. We need to be healed. We, we need to come through some things because they were willing to pay for it. They, they were willing to go that far to admit that we know 
you're connected to a source we don't have. We just don't know who that source is, where that source is, and how we can get what you got, you know. Yes, and we've got about three minutes left in this lesson. Um, In the Matthew telling, in Matthew 16, uh, a name is added, Jeremiah. Well, when I look at Simon, uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah, I do see two massive commonalities and one probable. Uh, They did not live in the information age. Many of them had no idea where John the Baptist had gone. Herod was not going to send his heralds around trumpeting, I killed John the Baptist. He didn't want to because he feared how popular John the Baptist was with the people. So most people hadn't gotten that memo. He is just not here. He was here. He was very public. But then he went away. Jeremiah disappeared on the road to, to Egypt. That's all we know. He was being taken against his will to Egypt and he disappeared. Elijah, very few people would have seen the fiery chariot, but they would have heard. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking of this, you know, the, the, put it in Lord of the Rings thing, like the coming of the king. The, the, who's been gone, we don't know where they are, but they're on their way back. Um, and so it, it, these aren't as absurd as people might think because uh, they, they were looking for people who had disappeared, whose stories were unfinished. But Jesus had a very limited amount of time with these apostles. And I think that's why he keeps trying to get this right. Don't spread it around. Don't, don't worry about that. Just get it right because I'm going to be leaving. And I think that's later why he has to tell them in John I'll send the comforter. You're not going to be alone. Uh, anything else you've got in the last minute or two you want to say? Yeah. Um, other than, than we'll get uh, miracles and they'll keep showing up. Oh, yeah. But, but the, the thing of, of allowing them to bless us today is an understanding that, that God, through his power, is still working through us bringing about his goal, his will, his purpose, but he doesn't necessarily bring us along kicking and screaming. That's where this faith, and that's why we've got to get to faith in Christ and not just faith uh, in a sacrament uh, or communion service every Sunday or baptism that saves me, but in Christ, because that's where the journey is that that's where the miracle because he's changing a heart when we look at society things that are going on around us those hearts are the ones that you're trying to get to Christ because that's where the change is how can you do this to these people how can you do how can you do this to a spouse how can you not see this in hunger how can you and um and it's living in that mode that brings about about the change, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what he's literally doing here. He's showing that I can change. This is what this is what Christianity is all about. It's loving people and bringing them to their best and to their awareness of Christ. This is what Christ is about. This is what Christ expects. You, you know, not to have us in different church buildings all around the country, but to have us in Him. And, that's right. Yeah. And um, and our time is short now, so if if the concept comes back up again in the next one, we'll oh, kind of bring it, it bring it back, it you know, a, again. Uh, but in southern nationalism, like we're looking at mm-hmm. in this country, uh, um, 
religions that start Southern and nationalistic in their impetus always have a strong orientation toward the miraculous and toward the way it plays out. But as they start growing and as they become less poor and more money and more power, mainstream, yeah. they, they always start now having to grapple with all of them, all of them do. And, and it's happening right now even around us. It so. is. It is. He didn't bring them to a system. He brought them to himself. We got it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And we will see you next week, picking up at chapter 8, verse 31.